Mike, I have something for you here. <laughs> oh. That's right, baby. Philly, man. Philly, Philly. They got it done. What an amazing finish to this. <laughs> yeah. A finish with PH. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I had to go for the pun in the episode name this week. Oh, that's great. Philadelphia is where you guys set out 244 years ago with a 3,300-word uh, document that became, well, a modern classic, one could say. <laughs> Certain declaration of independence. Yes. And this weekend, Philly moved Biden over the finish line. That was so exciting. Yeah. Next president of the United States, number 46. I love it, too, because Philly just cut through all the junk, right? There's all this ambiguity. Maybe this state will go. Maybe that state will go. And then Philly just came and was like, you know what? We got this. <laughs> yeah. So Philadelphia and Pennsylvania as a large one, should say, made sure that there is no second term for President Donald Trump, at least not for now. And um, how are you feeling, man? Maybe this is obvious, but like it's carrying around a lot of anxiety. <laughs> I think you never mentioned it in this podcast. I don't know how, how well I was keeping that hidden. Very well. I wouldn't have thought. I mean, just the overwhelming avalanche of text messages flying around in, in the chats and stuff. It was just like, it, it was really exciting. It was real relief um, to see this all come together. And it was kind of like the sigh heard around the world, right? Mm. <laughs> we talked about Germany, you know, Germany's feelings last week. Yes. People are pretty happy here as well. I mean, I just can't imagine how like... France or like Canada. Can you imagine having like living above some crazy neighbor, <laughs> you know, like having to deal with us? Uh, so I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of relieved Canadians running around. Some heavily armed neighbor. Yes, he's a little. Had an interesting president for four years. Yeah. And he's still the president. We're going to talk a little bit about the transition yeah. in a second. Um, hey, but man, the week was great for the podcast as well. Um, huh? Yeah, so we're reaching out to more than 30 countries now. Oh my goodness. Yeah, just in from, from our analytics department. Have a guess what's the most popular? Germany? Nope. Angola? No. It's actually UK. Oh. Almost a third of our listeners so far have come from the UK. I don't know. So it must be. Yeah. We're like the pixies of podcasting. <laughs> this is the Americanist podcast. My name is Johannes Ehrmann. I'm joined as every week by my relieved friend and accomplished scholar, Mike Bayoki in Stanford, California. Hi, Mike. Hey. Joseph Robinette Biden is going to be the next president of the United States. And in honor of Joseph R. Biden, I'm drinking a JR 6.0 beer here, strong beer. Oh, my goodness. Oh, look at that. Yeah. So what do you think about all of it? It's still going to take us a couple more weeks to like sort of work through all of the nuances here. But man, I'll tell you, it's there were a lot of ways this could have turned out really, really poorly. And mm -hmm. the ambiguity could have lasted a little bit longer. It could have been, uh, you know, one state that was being fought over rather than four or five states that were being fought over. It is pretty clear at this point that the Trump team is not interested in conceding formally. 
which is something that's always happened in modern times where the the losing candidate mm-hmm. you know steps up says I, I concede like good luck and you know may America be strong kind of thing that is unlikely to happen and that's got some consequences there so people are still trying to figure out all that part but I'll just tell you man like things are just feeling a lot better mm-hmm. and we're thinking uh yeah i mean like and, and you know this morning right like unrelated directly to politics pfizer the, the drug company announced that it has a very successful run of its vaccine trials so like there's just a lot of you know joy being felt mm-hmm. so i'm obviously always <clears throat> going to highlight the german part in all of this and of course you know pennsylvania we talked about it historically very german um has a governor um, with a German heritage as well. Uh, I'm gonna, just going to pronounce him like we would. Thomas Westermann-Wolf. <laughs> yeah, and he said, this is a stress test of the ideals upon which this country was founded. This was before you know, the result was, was in. I think at this point, we can say at least the first part of the stress test has been accomplished. Yes. Um, I think the institutions, a lot of them held really well you know, like the state level voting principles held together. The media here uh, could have really fractured in a more uh, grotesque, uh, violent way. And it hasn't done that. Mm. So yeah, a lot of major uh, things before we go too far, uh, because we're the Americanist, (laughs) I just want to point out if you are interested in different subtypes of Americans, uh, like different types of different little species of us running around. Uh-huh. There's a, the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania is one of the most fascinating subtypes of Americans. Okay. So he's very well educated, like Ivy League educated on top of all this, but he's like tattooed up. He's got a goatee. He's got sort of a rockabilly sensibility. Like he's like, you know, looks like maybe he could be like a mechanic on like motorcycles or something like that. He's uh-huh. amazing. He's a certain kind okay. of American who has like the rough exterior um, but has been like well honed. So if you want, if you're into the subtypes of America, I actually wanted to look more into the guy uh, who uh, jumped in Arizona with the uh, tank top saying barbecue beer and freedom. <laughs> no, but, but I mean, in all seriousness, um, it was really interesting. I mean, and I, I watched a lot, way too much American TV last week. And yeah. as this count was dragging on, um, I think we also saw for me, it was kind of like a triumph of federalism as well. Because, mm. you know, CNN would go to all these different states and interview all these election officials, basically, and political officers. Um, and I think they did an amazing job of holding this all together in all the, all the separate states and across partisan lines. One of them was the uh, Secretary of State of Pennsylvania, Kathy Bukvar. Very interesting uh, correlation. Um, one of my favorite Netflix shows, Lennox mm. Hill. Mm. It's uh, it's about these neurosurgeons uh, in New York who are doing an amazing yeah. job. One of them, John Bukvar. I found out he's actually the brother of Kathy Bukvar. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. So and they all went to Penn. So they all went uh. to the University of Pennsylvania. Um, and I found it really amazing how she you know held it all together. And she was asked by a reporter also. And this is still you know the count is coming in very very slowly. And then a reporter asked her, you know. We went back to your Twitter feed and four years ago you had these like anti-Trump tweets and, you know, what do you say to that? How do you comment on that? And she was like, look, four years ago I was not an elected official. I was not in this capacity. I was a private person who didn't like a certain politician. 
right now I swore an oath yeah. on the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, on the Constitution of the United States, and I'm going to do everything in my power to yeah. you know, uphold that oath. And I found that so strong. And, you know, also we talked about this crazy guy, Barbecue Beer and Freedom, who was jumping up behind the, uh, the official there, was just giving a press conference in Arizona, Joe Gloria, election officer. Um, and he just also his reaction was so amazing. He just he just looked at this this crazy guy jumping up yeah. and down until he was out of breath and just walked away. And then he was like, "So where were we?" <laughs> yes, I love just the professional. They care a ton. Yeah, there's a really good heart in a lot of the folks who were running these. They're not typically like fully professionalized, you know, into like elections. <laughs> like these are people who come out and work on this for, you know, a year getting things prepped. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I really you're right. Looking around the country, there was a number of people who really made a difference. And then, of course, Philadelphia erupted and we've lived there and we know yeah. the city. They love to celebrate. Um mm. I think they were climbing up uh, greased poles the last time the the Eagles won the Super Bowl a few years ago. And, you know, one of my great heroes now of this celebration, Gritty. Gritty yes. is the orange, the very orange mascot of the Philadelphia Flyers NHL hockey team. Yeah. Um, who even made it to the French news uh, this weekend because... Apparently, you know, French viewers were, you know, <laughs> dialing into Le Mans newspaper and other outlets were like, c'est quoi, Gritty? C'est qui? Uh, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to explain it's the Philadelphia Flyers mascot. <laughs> and actually, I was, I was watching one of the clips with the girls and, and they were like, oh, look, a giant pumpkin. Yeah, so that's all. Because he's such a, he has such a round orange head. So, yeah. How did you like the celebrations in Philly? Oh, I was so proud. I didn't realize I had like that much Philly in me, but like the sort of toughness, the unambiguous, like let, we're just going to get this done. Like I was just so proud of him. And I love like you should, if, if you haven't seen the memes with Gritty, they're just excellent. Like Gritty is a, the stuff of sort of like nightmares if taken in the wrong way. <laughs> like he's a very dark creature that he's very Philly. It was wonderful that Philly got to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Philadelphia, um, you could really, and I talked about, you know, the, the, the sigh of relief that you could almost hear. And, you know, a lot of people, I mean, Van Jones, you know, the black entrepreneur and civil rights activist and CNN pundit, he was basically tearing up, yeah. you know, as, as he was reacting to the call for Joe Biden. And I love the way just, you know, what he said. Um, he was like, it's so much easier to be a parent now compared to like yeah. a week ago because he says it matters that you try to be a good person character matters decency matters so i think that was a really powerful statement i think showed what most of all i think all of us around the world were suffering from yeah with trump yeah because he never tried he never tried he never even bothered to try yeah that's right didn't bother and even sort of like drove wedges in uh, to the some of the fractures that we have here in the United States, like the United States is really sort of complex. Like when I travel internationally, people get very sort of confused as to what it means to be an American, or they have like four or five different conceptions of what American is. Mm. And Trump, like one of his tactics and one of the Republican Party's tactics, has been to say, "No, we have a unified single identity." And it's sort of harder on the Democrat side because it's sort of, "No, we have." 
four, five, six, seven, eight, ten different mm-hmm. identities. Mm-hmm. And one thing that really struck me very much like uh, the Van Jones stuff was one of my good friends from high school adopted uh, two kids a couple years back. Mm-hmm. And I guess it was Saturday morning. My friend was like tearing up saying like, you know, the, you know, Biden and Kamala Harris won. And her little girl was like, mom, is that, is that the one who looks like me? Mm. I mean, it, it just means a lot now mm. to have more of us, you know, represented more of us incorporated into what it means to be American. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of, of course, we have to mention Kamala Harris, um, who is yeah. going to be the first vice president of color. Yeah. Uh, first vice president who is a female. That's right. And yeah. also the first vice president who is the daughter of immigrants. Oh, I didn't know that part. Yeah. And like the first vice president who's just an all around badass. <laughs> yeah. So Biden was talking about in his acceptance speech, so to speak, um, he was talking about that he will try that the era of demonization will end. He was saying we will have to take on the demons of the past. And as I was listening to that, I thought, Really, he's not only talking about the last four years, right? I think he yeah. might even be talking about the last 244 years. Yeah, no, you're right. That's that's the kind of language that is intentionally used here to talk more about deeper history as well. So you're right in that he's he's connecting an arc where there's a strain of thought that like what we saw with Trump was not just about Trump. It was it was sort of the mm-hmm. Um, continuation of patterns that have been growing for a while. So that's what mm-hmm. he was talking uh, in part there about, is that there are structural issues that have continued and, mm-hmm. and Trump is part of that. It, it's a, I think it's a really savvy move because what he's trying to do is shift the conversation away from Trump, acknowledge that that happened, try to say that we will get better as a country. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not just about ejecting Trump, it's about fixing mm-hmm. Um, more puts there so that was i really a lot of us really appreciate hearing him say that Mm -hmm. especially after four years where the media and the public was also absolutely obsessed by trump yeah because he was just so loud oh man i don't want to have to think about him like this i just need a stable person there Mm -hmm. where we can i mean that's one of the powers that america has had is we haven't had to do a lot of daily struggle with Mm. with this stuff like we've had a calm reassurance and to have a completely defective leader making us think and worry for so long and take up like every single day i did think probably think about trump in a way that like Mm. was just gross um Mm. it'll be nice to have a boring president Mm. also i think it was saturday evening um when i saw on twitter um and by the way please follow us on twitter at americanist pod That's Americanist P.O.D. Um, and I saw um, one of the White House correspondents saying, yeah, there's a there's a lid, you know, on the president's schedule. So meaning there were yeah. no further statements or appearances that same night. Yeah. And I just also tweeted out oh, this wonderful, long lost <laughs> silence. You know, it was like, <laughs> yeah, you know, turns out he went golfing um, and it, it's so obvious now uh, also in this kind of reaction that Biden and Trump are like polar opposites of masculinity and images of masculinity as well, right? Oh, that's a nice point, yeah. Because Biden, I mean, he was a candidate and he will be a president who talks a lot about his shortcomings and his tragedies yeah, that's right. and his weaknesses, you know, the stutter that he overcame. 
the family tragedy that, that he lost his first wife and infant daughter yeah. um, in a car crash and his two sons survived and later he lost his other son to cancer and you know and trump is the epitome of toxic masculinity yeah he's you know That's a really nice contrast i'm strong you know i i'm rich and none of it is true you know and it's like right. never, he never even dares to admit any weakness i think it's just going to be a relief it's just a much more contemporary even though biden is so old <laughs> He's even older than Trump, but in a way, I think he has gotten the zeitgeist. Oh, nice! Just for you, because um, I know you like to use that word as well in America. Yes, um, yeah. no, but I think he's gotten that so much more than Trump, right? Yeah, I've never thought about it that way. That is a wonderful encapsulation there of of that. That's a two very different understandings of what it means to be a strong man. Mm. And you're right. Yeah, and Trump was just out golfing. He hasn't conceded. <laughs> I think now it's like they're, they're leaking uh, from his camp, like from his son-in-law, daughter, yes. you know, sons. Who's going to break it to the guy? Please, yeah. it's over. Because, yeah. I mean, there's still there's litigation going on. Yeah, it's, it's a very... It, um, so one of the hardest things about 2020 is we're encountering things that we're just not used to. Like mm. over and over again, like mm. and you're like I, my example is like you're <laughs> here in California, like the sky disappeared, like the sun disappeared because mm. of the fires, and just nobody knew what to do, right? Like it's just so I don't want to make this sound like we're heading into a crisis, but we are heading into a period that's not super certain. Mm. So Trump has a history, like you're pointing out, of never admitting defeat, and mm. and then like sort of extracting through aggressive mm. confrontations mm. sustained confrontations mm. some concessions like mm. you know i you know i'm not gonna pay you the fee that you charged to you know, that you charged me to build this hotel that i wanted mm. um so i'm gonna litigate with you in order to get that bill smaller like that's the kind of stuff he's done over and over again and it appears to be he might be trying to do that now mm -hmm. and unfortunately so on January 20th, the Constitution, um, the laws that we have, shift power to Joe Biden. So he doesn't have any sort of control starting January 20th at noon. Mm -hmm. um, the important thing is there's about two months now where we have to carefully try to, or two and a half months, where we have to like navigate some very complicated dynamics because he will trump will continue to be president if he doesn't concede there's some really annoying things i got very concerned last week mm -hmm. because it has been a real strong tradition inside of the united states at this level mm -hmm. when someone loses the, the run they will concede and what that does is it triggers a bunch of mechanisms mm -hmm. or for the transference of power you can imagine that you just don't flip a switch and become the president mm -hmm. and so there's like something like something like a $6 million budget set to give you a sense, like $6 million budget just for like the transition between presidents mm. and things like you'll get access to security clearances, yeah. fast tracks for that for your team. You'll get like office space. That stuff is actually currently being denied the Biden campaign, mm. you know, in part because Trump appointees view it as too much of a concession mm. because Trump has denied losing and you won't concede the mechanisms yeah. that transfer the power and bring in the new person are not being put in place. Mm. <clears throat> is this horrible? No, it's, 
kind of unprecedented. <laughs> yeah, it's annoying, um, like so many things with Trump. But I'm sure there must be ways to bypass this uh, by everyone around it, him. Well, that's the thing is like that's this is the 2020 burden is is it um, a complete fracturing where people are going to start shooting each other? No, mm-hmm. but like it's a lot of uh, diverted energies and mm-hmm. confusion and ambiguities. Mm-hmm. I'm just you know, it's just another gross, disrespectful move mm-hmm. from the Trump team on the way out is just to hurt america for his own good Mm. one last time on his way out he's lost Mm. it's unambiguous the man is lost yeah he was firmly rejected by several million people Mm -hmm. so yeah that's the kind of stuff we have to keep an eye on and you mentioned it's several million people um the count is not even finished yet and already biden has a popular vote of 75.6 million americans compared to 71 million for trump Uh, and again, th- those are not final numbers, but that is, you know, right. how it looks right now. Um, so quite a considerable margin. However, Trump also has the highest turnout for a loser ever in presidential yeah. elections. Of course, America has also grown uh, a lot over the over the centuries. Um, but he also has eight million voters more already uh, yeah. compared to four years ago. So there have been a lot of articles also um, since last week about, yeah, okay, Trump might be gone, but Trumpism is here yeah. to stay. Or yeah. I think maybe more specifically, the Republican Party is there to stay. What do you think? Uh, you know, it has metastasized. This was a cancer. We mm. did not cut it all out this mm. time. Mm. You know, if, if Florida had gone blue or if we had won more of the Senate or something like that, mm. the Democrats had, it would have been a firm rejection. But having eight million new people show up to the mm. polls for him, like tells you there's a real energy mm. uh, on, on that side. The most terrifying example is there's a candidate out of Georgia who is a devout QAnon uh, mm. person. So let me see if I can, yeah. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Green. You know, so QAnon is this unbelievably complicated, broken from reality, I don't even know what to call it, conspiracy theory. It's It postulates that particularly Democrats, but sort of people in power are both pedophiles, but also mm. cannibals, but also maybe like, I don't know. I mean, there are different strains of it as well. It's a very broken way of seeing the world, very confrontational way of seeing the world. And it has uh, mobilized a lot of people. There were some very interesting, and again, I want to like, uh, I always want to be cautious, but there was a really interesting study that just came out. And again, it has to be preliminary because the data is not firm yet. Mm. Correlating rates of QAnon belief with some of the polling's inability to predict how the election would go. So in a region where people seem to be really strongly in, mm. you know, supporting QAnon and sort of that sort of thinking, it was much harder to predict how the polling would go mm. in that area. Mm. So again, I don't know if that will be borne out, but like, I, <laughs> it blows mm. my mind mm. that there's going to be someone in Congress who, uh, so Marjorie Taylor Greene, I cannot say enough like things about how, gross her positions are she's going to be a senator no i believe she's in the house so the house is like in the united states has always had some very bizarre characters mm. i mean so the at, house least, at least she's not elected for six years at, at that's first, right yeah so she's two years but like mm. she believes that like democrats are satan worshipers she said some really racist stuff like and this mm. person's gonna be sitting there in yep. uh you know with voting power mm. and that's the kind of stuff that i don't think is gonna get is not getting pulled out of 
the political discourse and was and he uh trump has um has on his twitter feed pointed to her and said wonderful you know she's wonderful so yeah there's gonna be a real lasting corrosive destructive strain of philosophy inside of the republican party for a while yeah i totally i totally agree and i that's why i also pulled out this um study last week that only 15 percent of republican voters still remain committed to the classical media that they actually transport information to Mm -hmm. them Um, and the rest is apparently just going out there and just you know you know picking and choosing from youtube on from anywhere and also from yeah yeah, just we know that there's loads of misinformation out there and i think that's going to be the the real battle in the next decades to pull and everywhere i mean and maybe it's just more progressed in in parts of the u.s society we have the same stuff popping up here as well yeah where it's just going to be to drag these people outside of you know, outside of their misinformation bubbles again. Yeah. And that's going to be super hard because they're surrounded. It's like a, it's like a cult. It's like a sect, you know, it's like, that's right. Yeah, to give you a sense, like this QAnon stuff, like there, there are different strains of it, but one fairly large strain of the QAnon world right now, it believes that Donald Trump will be a reappointed president on January 20th. So this is a thinking uh, that points to certain predictions in the real world that have, that are verifiable and it'll be wrong. On January 20th, Joe Biden will become president. Mm. And it's uh, at that point, you would think that a lot of QAnon, especially the people who follow this strain of QAnon, would be unsure, right, and, and how to proceed. It'll probably adapt and they'll probably come up with some crazy lizard person story. about. So I, here's, here's my take is as a public health person, mm. I think a lot about sort of the systems that give rise to this. This dynamic feels a lot like what happened when we moved to cities, people started getting into dense contact with each other mm-hmm. and outbreaks would happen, viruses, bacteria, hygiene-based stuff would be. And it took us a while to realize how to put in the circuit breakers, how to create better hygiene in high density situations. And it feels like we're sort of encountering that where ideas can move too fast and especially corrupted ideas that are detrimental mm-hmm. to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if there has to be a deep set of cultural, social changes that allow us to act in such close ways. Like the internet is allowing a lot more information to move very rapidly mm. between groups that would normally be contained. Mm. If you have a schism with reality, if you are not connected to reality, it's a lot harder to sustain that if you can't meet up with other people who are having similar kinds of breaks. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we have to think very seriously about what the internet has allowed us to do in terms of, yeah. So I don't know exactly, I don't want to call it mental hygiene because that has like a super terrifying history yeah, <laughs> of, yeah, yeah, of yeah. but like something along those lines where we need to think about the corrupting influence of that. To, to somehow steer the information and misinformation flow into different buckets. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Mm. And, you know, um, it's, it's really creepy because like, is this what like a, totalitarian orwellian government would do is also controlling for like just call it regulation yes and but i guess there's one of the things i need to like just put out there so like is this is a defective philosophy uh, if you want to call it that the QAnon. it it, it makes predictions that are clearly wrong Mm -hmm. it makes uh you know it's led to some fairly aggressive forms of violence that are disconnected from reality and then the people who if you track a lot of the people who really get into QAnon end up like really pissing off their families and friends mm-hmm. um, because they're so disconnected from reality. So I guess uh, 
the important thing I just want to draw a line here is like, this is a bad thing for people. Uh, yeah. And it does probably need to get corrected. And it is currently occupying a large chunk of, our, of the Republican Party. I actually looked back at the 2008 election. So big Obama landslide. Obama actually had the landslide that Joe Biden and the Democrats were hoping for this time. And it was really interesting, um, the kind of majorities that the Democrats had at the time. In the Senate, 57 seats to 41 after the election. In the House, 257 to 178. Obama also won the Electoral College by more than twice the votes compared to John McCain, 365 votes in total. This has totally shifted, especially in, yeah. in the Congress. And I think we have to point out here as well that this was a conscious effort by Republicans, and we've touched a little bit upon their agenda in the past decades, that they got together for the 2010 midterm elections with a clear target towards state legis legislators um, yeah. that they could win over. It's important. Pouring yeah. millions of dollars into several states where they knew they could take over as Republicans because in 2010, the census was out. Right. So the counting right. of the population and the redistricting, this gerrymandering that you explained in one of the last episodes, they could put it to perfection. Yeah. And we've seen that, for example, in Pennsylvania. Yep. Pennsylvania does have a Democratic governor. I mentioned him before, Governor Wolf or Wolf. But it does have a Republican legislature. And it's much more Republican than the popular vote would have been. That's and right. that's, of course, due to this redistricting, this unfair redistribution or redrawing the lines of districts. Yeah. And they have pretty much cemented their power in this, you know, and it's red mapping, right? So it's red map. Redistricting majority project, red map was the name. Yeah. So it's going to be very, very difficult to overcome this, right? So because like you pointed out, the census comes out every 10 years. And so last time was 2010. And so the census is coming out now-ish. Um, and so it's going to start, the redistricting process is going to start now. And... I don't know all the, the way the states panned out. It's not going to be great. It, it doesn't look like, and, and so there will be some more um, voting that goes on in the state legislatures two years from now. That'll also be very important for redistricting, but no, it's not looking great. It's not like things are going to magically change for that. This is a minority party. It does not attract the majority of people of voters mm. in a lot of states. Um, but like you pointed out, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, there are several other places mm. um, where it has been so gerrymandered that like, yeah. Mm. And one of the ways that you can tell that this has started to happen is if you look at statewide elections, so like mm. the governors of these places will almost always be Democrats. And then if you look at like the local votes that have been gerrymandered, you know, their, their legislature will tend to be very Republican. The founders, some of the founders, they warned of this, you know, party spirit, you know, this division into two parties that was already showing back then. And even Washington in his farewell address also warns about this fire, as he says, of, of party spirit. Now the U.S. are divided as much as any time throughout your history. Do you see any chance that this might heal under Biden? Oh, man, I don't... Rather than healing or something like that and moving, mm. um, I would more anticipate a fracturing into more groups 
So I could see inside of the Republican Party a strain that is more Trump QAnon mm-hmm. and maybe what we saw think of as like more traditional um, economically, though that's coded language, like I talked mm-hmm. about last time, mm-hmm. uh, driven conservative, traditional mm-hmm. conservatives. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see a fracturing like that. I could also see a fracturing of the Democratic Party the de- um, into probably like two or three different camps. Like the Democrats really are almost like three different parties. And I I think instead of coming together, I think you may see more of a fracturing, which wouldn't maybe possibly be healthier. But this was prevented over the last 240 years by, you know, this winner takes all system as well. I mean, the system is built to have two parties because you're either the winner or the loser. And, you know, a third party, it's already, you're kind of wasting your vote. So how, how would this pan out in reality then? Yeah, I mean, there are moves here to change the exact way that voting occurs. So like some states, like the state of Maine has implemented ranked choice voting, which captures more information. So um, I wouldn't be scared uh, in a ranked choice voting system. The idea here is that I could signal that I really like this candidate, Mm -hmm. but I know she might not win because she's a third party candidate, Mm -hmm. but I want to send that strong signal. And if she isn't one of the top two, then maybe my vote will roll over to the next Mm -hmm. person. So I haven't like wasted my vote. So there are ways of capturing that information that are starting to get tested out here in the United States. I think it probably would have to look like a coalitions uh, forming uh, kind of model. I I don't know. We've not really had had Mm -hmm. a strong version of this in, in my time. There's one interesting tweet um, that I found from uh, Eddie Glaude, who's a a Princeton professor, and I'm quoting here, the so-called moral outrage around Trump's presidency did not produce any substantive shift in his Republican support. Trump continued to flourish in the intersection of greed, selfishness, and racism. If I'm reading that, you know, greed, selfishness, and racism, it's almost like the American character turned into absolute crazy perversion with this figure. So let me break this down. So for me, the American character or the American creed is relying also on these three things. One of them is this very big ambition. You know, we talked about this winner takes all mentality. uh, And it also has to do with wealth acquisition. And this perverted is greed, basically, if you can't get enough of it. Then another one that goes all the way back to Benjamin Franklin, you know, self-reliance, be self-made man, you know, be, be, uh, you know, your own, forge your own fortune. And of course, this taken to extreme is selfishness, right? And then the last one, racism, you could also call it an extreme individualism. And we talked about yeah. this quote last week, you know, all, all I really care about is the economy. It also means, you know, shutting everything out. Uh, yeah, others. All the suffering and all the inequality that goes on around, you know, maybe three blocks down or in the other community. Right. Uh, you just don't want to hear about it, right? Right. Do you think that's sort of like an accurate yeah. description of, of Trump being like this clown-esque perversion of of america oh man yes and and you could not have picked one of the hardest challenges for mm. him to face mm. so having a pandemic hit mm. really shows you how ill prepared that version of the american identity was mm. so 
in a pandemic, you have to care about other people mm. and the infection spills over from one place to another. And you can't say, mm. this is your personal choice because your personal choice impacts my grandmother's probability mm. of dying. Mm. So when we talk about greed or we talk mm. about something like that, it's a part of the, the failure there, the malady is an internal focus mm. and a disregard for others mm. is I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get my, and it, my greed is going to overwhelm my ability to think about you mm. and the group level, or we could achieve something better together, mm. but you know, I'm going to get mine first. Mm. And you could not pick a hard, like a financial crisis doesn't even totally have this mm. uh, feel to it because, you know, it's typically triggered by a smaller elite group inside of, you know, the banking system or something like that. Mm. Um, Trump was an extreme version of what a corrupted version of the American ideal was. Mm-hmm. And then the universe <laughs> sent the hardest challenge for mm. that. Mm. And we failed it. Mm. We just full on failed it. America slammed into with all of its great people and its great mm. structures and its great institutions failed this challenge in large part because of the the lack of leadership and that kind of philosophy that had infected. Mm. Mm. Could that also explain why so many dozens of millions Americans can connect to that in a maybe weird or not so weird way? And I've also heard this, um, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't really subscribe to the way he says certain things or yeah. how he expresses himself or this, what he's tweeting out. But actually, you know, he's kind of right about a lot of things. That's what people say. Do you agree that I think with this kind of creed that you have been building for 240 years or some part of that, um, right. people are like, yeah, but, you know, he has all these hotels and he has all these, you know, golf courses and he's he's got it made, you know? Yeah, he's he's the, the best example of us. Like when I, you know, this is the a hypothetical Trump voter would say something like, man, like he's he's done the things that we talk about. Mm. Like he built himself an empire, saw him on the TV and mm. he's got all these flash. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're doing is postulating like what, what happened with his 8 million people who like new yeah. people who came out or like what happened to... I don't know. No. I, when I look at this, it, I mean, I see Trump and his version of thinking as parasitic. Mm -hmm. I think it leeches off of other people who are really doing good things. Mm -hmm. And it's clear he's a snake oil salesman. He tells you that he's going to have a new healthcare plan and he's going to have it in two weeks and it's the best ever. And then it never shows up. And he's been doing that for, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, he's been doing this for a year mm -hmm. and a half at least saying that he had a healthcare plan never delivered but it seems like the attention span of people is so limited yeah uh, so to circle back to what mm. you're saying dude i wish i could tell you i feel like i don't see it he has to be offering something and i as a person have a failure of empathy here because when i look at a at trump mm. i see nothing but him eating mm. us or like mm. like mm. devouring and, yeah. and pulling energy and so no i can't see what he other people must not believe that other people mm. must you know, mm. see him as giving back or something and no man i i don't mm. i don't think it's just the philosophy i think mm. there really has to be a feeling or you know the, the sort of like a belief in america and like i will become better yeah i think it's, it's much more a feeling than anything else it's sort of yeah. if if there ever was like a, a gut feeling candidate it was him right and that's right. maybe like a beer belly feeling candidate you know? <laughs> yeah it's a big guy. barbecue yeah. barbecue beer and freedom <laughs> barbecue beer <laughs> the media is covering it up i want to 
with you like explore that more like i think that's mm-hmm. like something mm-hmm. we should come back to maybe in a couple months because we'll have mm-hmm. sort of for me i'll feel more comfortable because i have some mm-hmm. we'll have some more data yep. have come in at that point mm-hmm. but um no i mean i think we're gonna have to do some real deep dives and understanding who those people are yeah it's a shame we're not in philly right now um because yeah. i think we would have a pint or two at the new deck tavern on campus, <laughs> like we used to do, the good old Yingling, of course, a German beer. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> am I emphasizing Germany too much here on the podcast? Maybe, <laughs> maybe I am. But I want to point out one last German fun fact I have for you today. Yeah. Um, you know, it's already guaranteed at this point that there will be two Germans in the White House from January on. Wait, they're called Champ and Major. They're the German shepherds of Joe and Jill Biden. And uh, yeah, I, I feel represented a little bit by them. They have my vote. Yeah. <laughs> they have sh- they're shelter dogs too, which I love. They're not like sort of okay. like hoity-toity, like fancy dogs. Like, I like that. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, with that little fun fact, <laughs> we'll, we'll close it for this time. And we'll talk again next week. Until then. Follow us on Twitter at AmericanistPod. We also have a Facebook page. We're not on TikTok. We're not on Telegram. Oh, I'll do the TikTok account if you want. Okay, cool. Excellent. Take care, man. Talk next week. Take care, man. Bye. Bye.